Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author, and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together, and we have some great people helping us along the way. Oh, so middle school, that crazy time of ultimate change between elementary school and high school. Just thinking about it brings up so many memories. Not all great, of course, as middle school changes can be confusing and strange as we try to figure out the social scene while trying to understand ourselves. Our brains are growing, our bodies are developing, and we're trying to answer questions like, who am I? What do I like? Is it okay for me to like this while my parents and my friends like that? Do I fit in? And so much more. And while all of this is happening, we also have to turn our attention to the parents and educators who are not only watching this happen, but uniquely involved, riding the lines between guiding and letting go, dependence and independence. So how, as parents and educators, do we help our middle schoolers navigate these school years that can be filled with angst and bewilderment with some humor, with some grace, success, maybe even a little fun thrown in there? To answer these questions and more, we have Michelle Eichert on the show today. Michelle Eichert is a writer, speaker, educator, and the author of Middle School Makeover, Improving the Way You and Your Child Experience the Middle School Years. She is a member of the Today Show parenting team and NBC's Education Nation. She is a contributor to the Washington Post on Parenting section and Your Teen Magazine. In addition, her work has been featured in the Chicago Tribune, the Christian Science Monitor, Red Book, Time, People Magazine, and A Mighty Girl. She is also an internationally recognized voice on adolescence who speaks around the country and across the globe. I'm so looking forward to this interview, so welcome, Michelle, to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Hello, thank you for having me. Well, we're thrilled to have you. And before we get into the bulk of the interview, for those who haven't yet gotten their hands on your book, Middle School Makeover, or seen you speak or read your articles, can you tell us what gets you up in the morning and what got you so personally interested in helping kids and parents with that tricky middle school experience, or as you call it, construction project? Uh, I want to say coffee, but <laughs> uh, yes, many <laughs> but, people do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but honestly, I have been working in the middle school world since my kids were two and four. I now have a junior in high school and a freshman in college. Wow. So I've been, well done. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been um, in this for a really long time and I love my job. I love getting up and thinking about middle school. So to answer your first question, what gets me up and going is that I think this is this three-ish year period of life is probably the most fascinating time of life. Mm. I, I think 
the project of figuring out who you want to be is messy and awkward and painful and exciting and fun. And I, I like that. Mm. You know, there's a lot going on there. It's fun to dive into. Mm, so good. And and thank you for all of that. As my child is in fourth grade and my daughter and my son in third grade close behind. And I think about the fact that middle school is sort of looming in the distance and not that far in the distance. I'm already hearing questions and 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 hearing reports from my daughter about I, I wonder if so-and-so is going to be mad at me and this one's going to be mad at me and um, th- this one made this face and this one didn't talk and this one said this about this person and it, it just makes me want to sort of yank her out and I go to a farming community out in the distance and 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 homeschool her um, because I, I just I fear what is to come in so many ways I'm sure many people do, but in Mel and in, in elementary school, we're we're used to being pretty involved in our kids' lives. I mean, when my daughter comes home and talks to me, it's because she wants to know what I think and what I would do. And they come home from school and they might divulge a, a social problem, and we might offer some suggestions. They they are trying to maybe balance homework and activities and social engagements, and they're having trouble dealing with it all. And we might discuss how we, and I'll put that in quotes, we are going to schedule everything and and may offer suggestions. So uh, I know that one of the things that you say in your book, and this of course makes sense, one of your box conclusions that you make is, one of the biggest, most important, and hardest paradigm shifts that comes with parenting a middle schooler is that you should no longer solve their problems for them. So important. So how can we begin to teach kids to solve their own problems instead of looking to parents or peers or key adults for the solutions? This is this is a toughie because it, it sort of goes against our instincts mm-hmm. and our parenting patterns that we've built up for so long. Mm -hmm. As you mentioned, we, we try to be helpful, Mm -hmm. try to be good to our kids, you know, and, um, we help them solve problems because it's an act of love and it really is throughout elementary school. But the real, um, transition in middle school is that it becomes an act of love to give our kids the chance to develop that skill themselves. So no one is, um, no adult just emerged <laughs> as a perfect problem solver. We we know a lot as adults, and we often want to solve our kids' problems because we know how to, right. and that makes it easier. Sometimes it makes it easier because it's quicker, and we just want to get it done with so we can go on with the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's easier because we know better, but for whatever reason, um, we want to solve the problem because we know how. Mm-hmm. But I think it's really important to take a step back and give our kids the same opportunity we had to earn our wisdom. We didn't always know how, but we figured it out over time through trial and error um, and often with a lot of mistakes and messes along the way. So our kids deserve that same opportunity to figure things out themselves. Mm. You know, I love that statement that you just made about giving them that opportunity to develop wisdom um, because and we've talked about it with Jessica Leahy. We've talked about it with some of the other authors telling us that we need to step back a little bit. Um, I know Julie Lithgott Hames talks about how to raise an adult and, you know, she's talking about allowing them to 
make the mistakes and allowing them to emerge with knowledge. And that if we don't do that, the danger is that they uh, become adults, no matter what, you know, they're, right. they're still going to become, become adults, but then they become adults that don't know how to solve their own problems or may know how, but don't feel confident in it. So I really appreciate what you're saying there. So you have this whole chapter devoted to talking with your middle schooler or not. Now that certainly resonated with me as as the host of How to Talk to Kids About Anything, because here we are trying to figure out ways to talk to our kids. And you talk about how parents often feel a distinct disconnection with kids at this age, um, which can feel really heartbreaking, um, frustrating. But you say that the key is not to give up um, and not maybe mourn that communication because the key is to allow the the communication to evolve. It's not that it just stopped. It's just evolving and we have to allow it to. So I want to hear the do's and don'ts of communication with your middle schooler. What what shouldn't we say? What should we say when a child maybe comes home saying that a friend was spreading gossip about her or and and what to do instead? I know you're going to mention this Botox brow, which is so right. classic. Um, and I think you should totally talk about that. But I want to hear, yeah, I want to, because you talk in this chapter so much about like, don't do that. Like, right. let's do this instead. So let's go there. Okay, sure. So um, why don't I lead with the Botox mm. brow? Because it's good. so good. I mean, it's so heavy. good. I love that there's pictures. Right. I have in the book, like. I have so four good. photos of myself. Um, <laughs> so I'll, I'll describe what this is. And then, as you said, I'll give you some other tips yes. that I think are really useful here. But I think that this is the, the top tip. And it's the, it's the thing that parents come back to me most often to say, this was the biggest game changer in my relationship with my kid. Your listeners may have had an experience where their child comes home from school and, you know, they ask a very simple, neutral seeming question like, oh, hey, how did your math test go? Mm. And the kid freaks out. I can't believe you're getting mad at me. I don't even know what I got yet. You're like, wait, wait, what just happened? My husband looks at me all the time. He's just and he like from across the room, he's like, what just happened? It's stunning and baffling and, you, and you're confused yes. and it's a real conversation ender. Um, what happened is that <laughs> your child saw your face and you probably had a wrinkled brow. Mm, and we do this. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. We yeah. do this all the time. I mean, I'm 46. I kind of have a little 11 in the middle of my forehead from staring <laughs> to the sun and living and laughing. Um So you may make a face when you are trying to focus on your kid because sometimes they walk in the door, you're in the middle of something. I know I am much less adept at multitasking Mm. in my brain than Mm -hmm. I used to be. So I have to turn to my kid and be like, okay, wait, you just said you're here now. I need to stop what I was (laughs) thinking, turn to you and direct my attention. So I wrinkle my brow to focus. Um, I wrinkle my brow if I want to show that I'm paying attention. I wrinkle my brow if I want to show empathy. Mm-hmm. Like I'm really listening. I'm really focusing on you. And my brow's crinkled. Yes. Um, what we know uh, due to some really cool research out of uh, one of Harvard's teaching hospitals, a neurologist named Deborah Yergel and Todd did a very cool study in which 
she put adults through an MRI and showed them pictures of people's faces. And they had uh, a range of expressions, basic expressions. And she said, while they were in the MRI, can you tell me what this person is feeling just by looking at their face? And adults could do it 100% of the time correctly. They could identify anger versus fear versus happiness versus mm-hmm. you know sadness. Um, and because they were hooked up to the MRI, she could see, oh, they're using their prefrontal cortex for this activity. And they're getting it right every time. Mm-hmm. She then put teenagers through the MRI, showed them the same photographs, and asked them the same question. Can you tell me what this person is feeling just by looking at their face? And teenagers got it wrong 50% of the time. I mean, it is mind-boggling and so fascinating. It's so good to know. Isn't it good when you get a nugget like this? (laughs) Yes, that's really good to know. Yes. So basically, when your kid sees a wrinkled brow, um, she could tell that uh, through the MRI that teens were using the amygdala, the emotional Mm. center of the brain, to read facial expressions. They don't begin to use the prefrontal cortex until probably the early 20s. So your child, when you ask an innocent question, if your face is crinkled up, automatically sees anger and storms off. I this, mean, this may, this may, <laughs> this may explain a lot, right? I mean, I think a lot of people are probably like, oh, now that's what happened. Right. Yes. And when you, when you understand it, you can deal with it. When you don't know and you're confused and you're insulted, mm-hmm. then, then it's really hard to come back from that. So my Botox brow tip is simply to pretend that you're a celebrity on a late night talk show and you have so much Botox in your forehead, you cannot move your forehead or your eyes around. Mm. Yes. Um, it's like the key is like you m- don't want to portray anger. So now you've got to tell your face. Yes. <laughs> You have to tell your face and you have to be totally neutral. And I mean, kids start talking when they feel like their parents aren't mad. So this works like a charm. Mm. Mm. So, (laughs) so important about doing this Botox brow. Yes. So that's number one. And I'd like to give, can I give you another one? (laughs) We would like any that you can give us. Okay. So my other one is that, Um, your kid all day long is exhausted by the middle school social scene. And if you can put yourself back into a middle school hallway, you might remember how bad that feels um, and how exhausting it is to worry about, like your daughter going into school, to worry about what everyone might think of you. You just feel judged Mm -hmm. all day long. Mm -hmm. So um, when they come home, if your kid feels like you're needy of them, they're too tired for it. Um, So... If your kid comes in the door and you're ready there with questions and you, you want to just pet their hair and hug them, <laughs> they're hair. like a cat and they just want to jump away from you. But the second you don't need them, they're kind of interested in you again. So what I a trick that I would do with my kids is when I wanted some information from them. So let's go back to the example with how that math test went. Mm-hmm. I might say when they came in the door, hey, how are you? Um drop your bag, get settled. I, I want to hear about your math test, but I've got some emails to send for work. So um, I've got to get that done, but maybe let's catch up on that later. Then my kids will be like, what? I could tell you right now. Wow. <laughs> so when they sense that you're not needy, they're interested in talking. Mm, mm. Excellent. Very important information. Like that's like a reverse psychology kind of situation that, uh, yes. yeah, that we're doing there. So 
So to expand on this, you actually provide a problem-solving path. I've really liked it. That utilizes that Botox brow. It's like kind of your step one. Um, and 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 you you talk about this flow chart when perhaps um, your child says they don't feel like they're doing well in school in a class or something, or they lost a friend's book that they borrowed, or someone called them a terrible name. So can you take us through what to say and what to do? When a typical problem such as one of these comes up and your child says something about it to you. Sure. And even before we go through the steps, what I'll add is that um, it was so good what you said earlier about the the need to kind of let kids handle this on their own mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. how we sort of switch the paradigm. The other reason I want parents to know that this is important is because when your kid is hit with a problem in middle school, typically it's a social problem. Mm-hmm. Like you said, someone called them a name or they're feeling excluded. That can give kids a feeling of helplessness. Yes. Like, what am I supposed to do here? And when you step in and try to solve it, it doesn't help your kid with that problem of feeling helpless. So it actually, like, maybe makes it worse because it says not only do you feel helpless, but I believe you are helpless. Yeah. So I'm going to take over. Exactly. That's so well said. So um, so what you want to do is give your kid a chance to solve it, because whether or not they do solve it well, at least they feel like they're doing something. So at least you can check off. I don't feel helpless from the list of issues. Mm, mm, Okay. Um, Okay. so your kid comes home and let's say, for example, um, your son comes home and he's angry and you can't tell why. And he divulges that someone smashed his sandwich in the cafeteria at lunch. So he didn't get to eat lunch. Not nice. Right. And your instant reaction is, well, I'll be calling the guidance counselor because no one should be (laughs) touching your food. (laughs) Instead of jumping into fix it mode, what you want to do is very first thing, as you mentioned, get your Botox brow on and have a little empathy, you Mm -hmm. know? So just say, oh, I'm sorry that happened to you. That sounds really tough, or you must be really hungry. Can I get you a sandwich? Mm, mm, Start with empathy. mm -hmm. That's important because if you know, um, if you've ever expressed a problem to your husband, for example, Mm -hmm. and he has responded with, well, here's how you avoid that. Oh, no, no, no. That's not going to do it. That's That's annoying. (laughs) I just want want you to listen. (laughs) We all want sympathy right off the bat. So that's the first thing to do is just sympathize. And then Step two is ask him how this makes him feel. Mm -hmm. This sounds dumb because how would anyone feel if they got their sandwich smashed at lunch? But it's important because kids this age have a sort of warped, overdeveloped sense of justice. And often when they go to solve a problem, what they want to do is punish the other kid. Yes. So um, you don't want to raise kids who feel like, their job is to go around fixing other people's bad behavior and they never focus on themselves. Hmm. Mm. So ask them how they feel because this will become a litmus test later in the process where you can say, does this solution fix you feeling lonely or angry Mm -hmm. or hungry or whatever it is? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Typically kids will go towards, you know, punishment. So, uh, you start with your Botox brow, you ask them how it feels, then ask your kid, some ways that he could come up to fix the problem of how he feels. What are some things you could do 
to feel less angry or to feel less picked on or to feel, you know, whatever it is. Um, your kid may struggle here. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's a vocabulary issue. Sometimes it's just a reluctance to talk or they just haven't practiced doing this. So yeah, a knee jerk yeah. reaction of saying, I don't know, like that, you right. know, it's so used to saying, I don't know. Then... You'll probably get, I don't know at yeah, first. Right. 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 So that's okay. You can just say, I, I get it. It's a hard one. Um, and then you can start to throw out a couple possibilities again, neutrally. Would it be, you know, would you feel better if you did A or B? Mm -hmm. Kind of like the eye doctor. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right? You can do that a little bit if your kid is struggling with this. But maybe your kid's a talker and they have some ideas. And I will almost guarantee that after I don't know, the first idea your kid comes up with, you're going to hate. <laughs> right. I could, I could go smash his sandwich for him. That's it. Right? That's exactly what a kid would say. Yeah. Right. I'll, I'm going to show him tomorrow and he's going to leave me alone after that. I'm going to smash his sandwich. Right. If your reaction to that is, what are you crazy? You're going to get in trouble. Don't, that's not a good Wait, idea. Wait, I'm losing my Botox brow. <laughs> yes. So you know what would happen in that case? They would stop. Mm -hmm. Find that I don't know. You tell me, right? Or they just leave the table. Mm, yeah. Sure. So even if you don't particularly like the first response, remember that this is a brainstorming session yeah. and you don't evaluate. You just go, yep, that is something you could do. It's okay. an option. That could yeah, be Yeah, it's a. an option, all right. <laughs> what's another? Mm -hmm. So keep asking that. Okay, what's another? And you get two or three and you say, wow, you're good at coming up with these ideas. Let's try to get to five. What's something else you could do? So your kid at this point has probably generated a list of five to maybe 10, if you're lucky, things they can do. And the more they think about this, the more they're gonna get into hybrid complex solutions, which is really cool. But let's say that they've got a few ideas out there. Um, they could smash the sandwich, they could move seats at lunch, they could tell the kid not to do it, they could bring soup for the, hmm. for the cake. Of this argument. So then you say, all right, you've got a, quite a few ideas here. Which two are your favorite? And your child, who is still really feeling this and is upset, says, I think that it's not fair that he did this to me and he needs to know what it feels like. So I'm going to take his sandwich tomorrow. That's one. And you go, okay, um, let me hear what that looks like. So talk me through that. You sit down. Tell me what that's like. And as your kid is talking about this, you can ask very neutral questions like, could you potentially get in trouble if he reports this to a teacher? What do you think the reaction would be from other kids in the cafeteria if this happened? When you go through this part of the process, this is where asking him how he felt comes in handy because he's still wrapped up in the idea of payback. So you can say, I get that completely, but it sounds like you, you're, what you're feeling here is anger. Mm -hmm. And if the kids in the cafeteria start to hoot and holler and make a big deal out of this and a teacher finds out and you get in trouble, does this make you feel less angry? Mm -hmm. So when you go Powerful. back to that mm -hmm. solving for that problem instead of solving for somebody else's bad behavior, that's when you get a good solution. So maybe you pick another one. Well, what's, you know, maybe it sounds like that one doesn't solve for feeling angry. What's another one you could do? Mm -hmm. And he says, I'm just going to bring soup. <laughs> and you, maybe you're thinking, oh, I wish you were more assertive. I really want you to mm -hmm. tell him not to 
do it. Right. This is where it's important for parents to realize this is not your problem. Mm. This is your kid's problem and they get to practice solving it. Right. However they want. So then you might say, soup, soup is an option. Tell me what that's like. And he says, I get a thermos and I put some soup in it and I bring it and no one can smash it. Mm. And you say, you know what? It sounds like you did a really good job here. You figured out a solution. You're not going to be angry because it's not going to create another conflict for you. I hope that you try it and you report back and let me know how it goes. Excellent. And then you change the subject. Oh, good. We don't have to belabor the point, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> you do get really worried about what's called interviewing for pain. Mm, mm. It gets our kids stuck there. Mm -hmm. So I would just be like, great job. Reinforce that feeling of like, you're you're good at solving problems. Mm -hmm. and then would you like to have a snack or watch some TV or what are you up to now? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very useful. I, the structure is is helpful. I think we can apply it to anything, uh, any problem. And it really, the idea here is that you're even if you're brainstorming and suggesting some things because perhaps your child isn't coming up with things right right away, mainly you're in a, a prompting mode of getting your child to come up with some answers that may work for him. And I just want to put high beams and underscore an area that you said, which is that when you're brainstorming, you're not evaluating that particular idea. So if they come up with something that you don't particularly care for, it, it's not for you to say, well, that won't work or that's going to cause this problem to happen. It's just an option. And then you move forward with other ones. And then when you're zeroing in at the end uh, on the problems, the solving of the problem, that that one may not even come up. So I, I think that's really important what you said. Just let the ideas come out as a brainstorming session and then you know, as as the flow chart goes on and you're getting more into it, you, he can reveal to himself or she can reveal to herself why that pro that solution may not be the right one. That's perfectly said. And I think it helps to keep in the back of your brain too. This is practice and yes. no one's good at this right away. Yes, yes. And we want them to practice while the stakes are low so that they yeah. have it in their bag when the stakes are high. So great point. Yeah, thank you for that. So I was interested in one of your chapters on more than one way to be cool because, you know, you really do hear a lot about popularity and, and who's, you know, who's the most popular. Um, a lot in middle school, I'm already hearing a lot about this sort of cool table and all that kind of stuff um, in my child's world who's getting, you know, to the upper grades of elementary school. And uh, so this was interesting to me. Um, we know that sports are really huge in a lot of towns, um, certainly in my town. Not all kids are playing football or baseball or soccer. Um, not all kids are, are going to be the cheerleaders. So how can we help our kids who might be feeling a little on the outs because they aren't doing what everybody else is doing? Or maybe they are doing some of that but don't feel as adept or as skillful, uh, you know, in, in that particular area, they don't feel as good about it. Um, how can we help them to feel good about who they are and their own unique gifts that they bring to the, the table when their identity doesn't mirror the bulk of other peers in their town? 
Yeah, that is such a sweet question and a sweet way to put it. Um, Because I think this is a real concern, especially when we talk about kind of mental health and we want our kid to grow up with a strong sense of self and acceptance. And it's really important for kids to feel connected to peers. Mm -hmm. But what's what's good to know is that kids need to be connected to one peer. Mm -hmm. If they're not connected to one peer, that's when we worry. But if they've got one person, then it's not a time to worry. So as you said, there are these sort of typical ways that kids connect um, through sports or through certain pop culture thing, you know, playing the same video game mm-hmm. or whatever it may be. Um, if your kid is doesn't feel like they fit in with that, doesn't enjoy doing that, there are some other things that you can do. So one of the first things that I think we should be doing with our kids in middle school is talking about the concept of popularity. So kids this age tend to worry a lot about who's popular and who isn't um, and where they rank. So I, I talk about this a lot because kids are going through what I call the middle school construction project. Their bodies are changing, their brains are changing, and their identities are changing. Mm-hmm. That leaves them feeling kind of lost at sea and all they can do is look around at their peers and try to figure out, am I normal? Mm-hmm. Is my body change normal? Is my brain like everybody else's? And do I like and look, you know, the way other people do? So they're questioning that all day long. And if you can have sort of pragmatic talks with them about popularity, one point to make is that there are two kinds of popularity and kids don't quite realize this when they're in middle school. There's being popular because you're really likable and nice to people. Mm -hmm. And then there's being popular because people are sort of afraid of you. Mm -hmm. When kids can understand that, I think they have a much better time um, separating themselves from doing things because they feel pressured or, you know, that sort of thing. Um, And that is one way kids try to be cool is by being a class clown or being impressive or, you know. Right. So I would uh, suggest that parents just have some casual conversations around that. Other things um, that tend to help kids with cool factor that we don't think of as much are um, music. I mean, this is age old, but kids who, kids who like cool music or who can play cool music, who learn an instrument, end up getting a lot of um, sort of social cred from mm-hmm. their peers. Mm-hmm. So if they're not into sports, maybe they can play guitar yeah. or something like that. Exactly. Another thing that becomes really cool in middle school is making money. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, yeah, I mean, you know, girls tend to start to babysit. Yeah. I think boys should do more of that. But um, my son in middle school started a business with some friends where they bought sneakers and rehabbed them and then resold them. Wow. Um, and that was a really neat way to spend time and to learn about business and to take some risks. Um, but kids respect that when mm-hmm. you you're able to make your own money. That's a cool thing. So I would encourage parents to encourage their kids to figure out some kind of a little entrepreneurial business model in middle school and get behind that. I'm just remembering I had two friends who detailed cars uh, yeah, in, in starting in late middle school and into high school. And, uh, you know, obviously for, for people who would typically 
have their cars detailed you're talking about you know hundreds and hundreds of dollars where these you know middle schoolers or young high schoolers are doing it for for much less and and still putting in you know the same amount or more work <laughs> so right. for people to be like why would they purchase from them well there are some good reasons actually yeah, and plus cool. the the whole idea of just you know wanting to wanting to help out um, some younger people or um, feeling like you want to give them that that uh, that time and that energy and allow them to prove themselves. So that's great. Yes, I would hire them. I think absolutely. I think that's really cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. What, what about that kid who you were saying in the beginning, like might, you know, yield towards trying to become the class clown or trying to become, you know, or, or is bragging about things just because they're trying to get energy from the class. What, what would you say to your child if they're kind of going in the wrong direction to get attention? Well, I, I tend to rely a lot on um, articles and news stories and research to talk to my own kids because I find that if you talk to your kid about themselves, they get instantly defensive. Right. So what I would do in that situation is I would point to um, an article that came out in the New York Times a few years ago, but it was called, I think, Cool at 13, Adrift at maybe 30 or 23. But anyway, if you, <laughs> if mm-hmm. you Google Cool at 13, Adrift at, you'll get the article. And the article talks about how the things that make you cool in middle school make you uncool as an adult. I remember this. Yes. I found it fascinating. And and it really is true that the kids who I remember as being so cool in middle school were the class clowns, were the kids who made jokes about other people at their own expense, who drank or took risks Mm. or dated a lot. And I remember being in awe of them. But what happens is your brain is sort of um, gel-like and fluid in middle school. I call middle school one of the stickiest times of your life because your brain is starting to gel. So what happens to you in middle school sticks with you Mm -hmm. for a really long time. And for some kids, they get stuck in the idea that this gets a laugh or this is perceived as And then they become the people in the workplace who are really annoying. Yes, agreed. Yeah. So um, whether your kid is dabbling in some of this behavior or not, it's helpful for all kids to understand that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the idea of, of talking about it in a little bit of a more of a removed sense so that, you know, they can make some judgments about those other people who might be doing it, but maybe not putting it on the, themselves. So that's, that's awesome. It's probably true for all ages, not just middle school. I you think know? you're probably right on that. So... One of the chapters that you do um, deals with something totally classic that we we think of when we think of middle school, which is put downs and comebacks, you know, the sort of uh, coming to school and I'm mad at you and, and, and saying mean things. And this sort of seems to come with the social scene in middle school. When your child comes home from school telling you that somebody called him something terrible, you know, it's hard to cool your jets and, and listen with that Botox brow, um, especially if you think that it's like happening repeatedly. Um, you know, your child is, you know, keeps finding themselves in this situation. So, you know, what what can we do in that kind of circumstance when our emotions are really getting hijacked um, and and we're, we're sensing this problem? How can we be helpful instead of harmful in this situation? Uh, it's a great way to put it. 
So I think it it depends on the degree of severity mm -hmm. of the situation. Um, back to that problem solving model, this is a good opportunity if you catch it early um, and your kid says, you know, people are calling me this name or somehow they, they tell you. Because um, often I think they don't just come right out with it. But let's say um, it reveals itself that your kid is going through this and they're being teased. Um, I would initially begin with giving them the power to figure out how to respond. Because mm -hmm. so often in middle school, what kids are doing is testing boundaries and they do it with each other. And they want to see who's able to take it, who they can push a little further, where they can get a laugh, that mm -hmm. sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So what I run these leadership summer camps where I live in North Carolina. And we this is an integral part of our curriculum for the young leaders in the camp. And that is figuring out what is maybe one of the worst or most embarrassing things that someone could say to you in middle school and having something in your hip pocket that you can do or say if that thing were to happen. Mm. Um, and this is really revolutionary for kids because they don't give it much thought other than to fear it. And um, we all know someone has said something to us where we've kind of gotten our knees knocked out from under us. Right. And then two days later, we thought, oh, I should have said. Oh, yes. Like, <laughs> like somebody says something like the, about the way you smell, which would be like, oh, God, in middle school or how you look or what you dressed like or whatever. And all of those things are very sensitive points at that time. They are, and there's no prescription for, here's the right thing to say. Right. What matters is that you don't show that you're completely rocked yes. by it. Um, yes. So if you can role play with your kid or just kind of discuss it or script it out, like what would be something you could do? And much like the problem solving exercise, your kid may come up with something that you hmm. wish were stronger or you wish were less strong, right? Right. Um, and it's okay if your kid says, you know, if someone says something to me, I'm just going to go, oh, well, and shrug it off and walk away. Mm -hmm. You might think, ah, I really wish you would stick up for yourself a little bit more right. and not sound so wishy-washy. But if your kid, if that happens and your kid goes, oh, well, and walks away, they're going to have a sense of accomplishment. Yes. I did what I said I was going to do in that situation. It wasn't as bad as I thought. And I'm not crying in the bathroom right now. Right. I handled it. Right. So um, the chapter sort of walks you through how to do that with your kids so that they're prepared. Right. And again, it's back to that feeling of like, I'm not helpless here. Right, right, right. And something that I do is going to have an effect and I'm going to feel ownership over it that feeling of ownership is really important at that age so that they're you know they are getting a sense of independence uh from you which is so important uh, it's so for that important middle school if, age. if we jump in instantly to try to solve it then once again your kid is going to go oh i can't solve the i can't handle these right. things but also we all know just from a sort of reputation standpoint, it's not going to serve your kid well at school if you're always up at the school and you're always calling in to sort of orchestrate how your child is treated. Yes. It's going to end up worse. Right. And not to mention when we say, all right, here's what you're going to do. And you're going to go in and you're going to say these words and you're right. going to make this joke. And it is not in the personality of your child it's going to feel forced. It's going to feel weird. It's going to be come off wrong. You know, they're not you. 
And that's, that's just it, how exactly. we have to get it. Yeah. They're not you. It, it has to be something that's natural for them. The other thing that happens in that case is they don't come back to you for advice again because mm. it didn't work. It tanked. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So you want to just be an open door. Um, take a deep breath. This is what your friends are for. Call them, complain, drink yes. wine together, whatever you need to do yes. for your own self-care. But for your kid, just be real cool about it. I love that you just mentioned self-care because that's, that is um, one of the questions I want to go over before we get to your, your top tip for us. So, you know, when your kids are in middle school, that idea of self-care just becomes that much more important. I mean, we don't really talk that much about self-care with our, you know, elementary school kids or our preschool kids beyond, you know, really just learning how to take care of themselves, um, you know, get up, brush your teeth, you know, do these kinds of things. But self-care becomes really important for refilling the proverbial tank for adults. And yes, of course, for preteens and teens. So how can we help our child integrate self-care into his or her routine and and how might that help our child? And and also, how can we as parents sort of model that or, or help them to bring that in as a, a natural part of life? Right. So one of the things that I have found most helpful in the area of self-care is to make it kind of concrete for kids at this age. Mm. And they need to own it, much like all the other stuff we've talked about here. It needs to be what works for them, not what works for you. So we do an activity at my mother-daughter conferences. I I do these for moms and girls who are, the girls are headed into middle school. Mm -hmm. And I call it a try this first list. And, you know, anxiety is rampant now. Yes, it is. Um, It is. And we we had it in my own house. One of my kids really suffered from anxiety and and they came by it naturally because I sure did as a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, And so um, one of the things that helped us was we sat down during a happy moment. You don't do this when your kid is worried. Um, And we said, okay, let's just make a list of 10 things that make you feel good, that Mm -hmm. you enjoy. Mm -hmm. And um, we put it on a poster and decorated it. And then um, this was my daughter. And she's fine with me talking about this because she talks about it at the conferences. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. Um, and then she hung this in her closet. And when she was having um, feelings that were too big for her, which happens to everyone mm-hmm. in middle school mm-hmm. weekly, mm-hmm. <laughs> I would say, I understand you are feeling overwhelmed right now. You seem like you're just really stressed. Why don't you go to your room for 20 minutes, pick one thing off of your try this first list and do that, and then come back to me and let's talk about it. Because her reaction in feeling anxious or overwhelmed was for wanting me to fix it. Mm -hmm. And you can't because you don't, you often don't even know what it is that's sending their emotions. Exactly. Exactly. So she would go look at her list and it would have take a bubble bath Mm -hmm. or read a book or draw a picture or whatever it is and do one of those things. And the majority of the time, the vast majority, she'd come down 20 minutes later feeling better. So I think it's such a good idea to do this with your kid. And as you said, how do you model it? Do it for yourself too. Mm-hmm. Make your, and do that with your kid. Have them help you come up with a list of things so that they can see how human you are and that you're, you practice what you preach. I think this is genius. I think it is important and it is genius to have your child do this. And especially, yes, during a happy moment. Um, because our children, they're not always going to be with us. And we need them to have those skills and for them to try them out. 
you know, when, when they're in a safe space uh, with right. people who are understanding um, and, you know, know the magic of a bubble bath or a yeah. shower or, you know, playing music and um, drawing or reading or snuggling up with a blanket, whatever it might be to help them to take care of themselves and understand that they're worth, worth that. They're worthwhile. Yeah. That's important for them. Right. That mm -hmm. is so good. So at this point, I'd love to get your top tip. I know you already talked about some top tips, but what would you say you would want our audience to come away with that will really help them to help their kids navigate middle school successfully? I would say that it's important for parents listening to remember that what your kid is going through in middle school with this body, brain, and identity development, everything changing, um, that is that is being mirrored in your own life. You're probably around midlife when your kid is in middle school, typically, mm -hmm. and your body's really changing and your brain is really changing and you're gonna have to kind of wrestle with a new identity um, in terms of who you are now that your kid is growing up and doesn't need you quite as much. So my top tip and this is so so simple, I say this every time I give a talk, is to get a hobby. Mm. So you need to figure out, you've probably devoted a lot of time to your kids to this point, um, figure out what it is you really love to do outside of being a parent mm -hmm. and dive into that, you know, mm -hmm. outside of work mm -hmm. um, and show your kids an example of doing something that you're really interested in and really passionate about that will serve them well and it will serve you really well not to get caught up in all the little stuff that is so exciting thank you <laughs> no i really is because i i you know right as my children came into my life i kind of had to give up the whole musical theater singing stuff that i absolutely adored and i can't wait to get back to it so i feel like you're just um you know, saying it's there, it's in the future. Yes. I'm so excited to get back to, to doing some of that. And, and I do think it's important for our kids to see us engaged in activities um, because they have to know that things are important to us outside of, of our children. They need to know that that we're multifaceted and that uh, those little things that they come in with is not our whole life. There's That's other things. Exactly it. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. So give us the resource of the week. Where can we go to get more information about you, your book, and everything that you've talked about that you do, your workshops, and uh, your articles? Sure. So um, best place to find me would be, um, well, there are probably a couple, but I would say my website is michelleichard.com. Um, and then I'm also really active on Facebook. So mm -hmm. you can find me two places on Facebook. I've got my public page, which is um, Michelle in the middle. So if you search for that, you'll find that there. I've also got a private parenting group on Facebook. It's called Less Stressed Middle School Parents. Mm. And that's a great place to interact with other parents who have many of the same questions and concerns you do and get advice. And I'm on there often popping in and, and offering feedback. How wonderful. What a great resource. And I'm sure people will take you up on that. 
I just want to thank you, Michelle, for your insight and your strategies helping us through this very confusing time, this time that can lead to a lot of frustration, but giving us some tools that that are certainly going to prepare those of us who are coming into it, but also to those who are in the thick of it, giving them some strategies so that they can use them right now with their kids and feel like they're doing something helpful and preparing their children for life while they're also helping to ease some of the angst created by middle school. So thank you so so very much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. You are so welcome. And I've got my takeaways and sweet friends. I know you have yours. Let's discuss them. Come on up to Facebook. Let's go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page and definitely check out all of Michelle's pages she talked about as well. Let's talk about all of this great stuff. We can go on to drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com slash drrobin. I'm on Instagram um, and slash Dr. Robin Silverman. And if you love this podcast like I did, I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review it so other people can learn about these outstanding solutions, pass them on to their friends, use them in their own homes. I truly appreciate it. That's all the time we have for today. My fellow parents, leaders, and educators, thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. There's so many great podcasts up there and the show notes to this podcast will be up there as well along with all the links to Michelle's websites and all the things that she's doing. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together and please remember even on the days when you fall short you've got this. You're here and you're getting the information you need. Perhaps you're thinking back of the way that you talked to your child about a problem or maybe you did take over or maybe you did pass off a suggestion that they made. That's okay. I know it's not easy, but never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. You can do it again. You can do it better. You're getting the information. I see you and I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet, sweet sanity, please know you are 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.